What is good, everybody? It's your boy, AP. We are back on the podcast. I hope everyone's doing extremely well. Yeah, good times, good times, good times. Um, so let's get straight into it today. Um, good session. Cannot complain today, guys. Your boy's on a bit of a mission at the moment, trying to get into deadlifting and then pulling your assault bike. Now, there is strategy to this thing. We're not just going in without any intentions. When you're going towards a goal and you have a goal in mind, it just makes you dangerous. It makes you so worth it at the end of the day, right? So for me, I feel like it's very, very important to remember that with goals comes intentions, all right? Without intentions towards your goal, you are not going to reach your goals, okay? But the thing about goals as well, it always feels never-ending, right? And you need, you need fulfillment and happiness in your life. If you're always just fucking chasing, you're going to be sad after a while. So you need to get those goals, get after what you want to achieve, and, you know, smell the roses, appreciate what you're doing, appreciate how far you've come within your process. Be proud of that. You know, you've accomplished a lot of tremendous things, but the job's not done. Dead set, that's how it rock and rolls, right? Until the job's finished, let's celebrate after that, you know what I mean? So, yeah, no, 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 everything's doing pretty well, man. Um, Obviously, I was going through a little bit of an issue with my mental health. Um, nothing too crazy, it wasn't like I was fucking depressed or anything like that. Just a little bit down on myself uh, for a few weeks, um, just because clients were canceling. The business wasn't really going anywhere. It was very stagnant um, for a few, for about a month and two months, uh, which isn't great. But it happens. Like fucking, that's life, bro. You know what I mean? Like, what do you think your business is gonna shoot off within a year? Come on, man. It usually takes people three to four years for their businesses to go off. There's nothing wrong with this. This is a part of life. You know, I'm not earning a stack of money with my business, but I'm, 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 I'm getting there. I want to make it full time money. I want to make it full-time money, and I'm going to get there. If I keep working, I keep watering the garden, I keep chopping the wood, I'm going to be good. So just keep chipping at it. Keep going, man. Don't stop all of a sudden because some fucking dickhead says, no, 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 no. No, shut up. Shut the hell up, man. I've got this. I'm going to take myself to the distance that I want to take myself. I'm not giving up, man. I'm not giving up. If you think I'm giving up, it's just not going to happen. Like, I don't give up on certain things unless law... Or death does me. That's it. Two things that stop me from getting to the places that I want to get to with my business. Anyway. So, yeah. Talking about the goals that i got in mind, ladies and gentlemen. So, we got the 200 kg deadlift I want to finally get. Right? And as well, I want to get a 100 mile assault bike in the same day. So, 24 within the 24 hour span. It doesn't have to be bang on back to back. But I want it within the same day, right? So it's a, it's a goal of mine to really go for this uh, this accomplishment. And I, I'm, I'm nervous because, like, 100 miles is a lot of mileage in the tank. Like, that's 160 kilometers on a fan bike. That's scary, scary, intimidating stuff to try and figure out. Now, if I don't make it, that's okay. It's all right. Like, I'm going to make sure I make it. And I'm going to make it. Because you got to manifest as a champion. Manifestation's king. If you don't manifest just what you want out of your goals, how are you gonna how are you gonna have the confidence to take yourself to that point? If you don't manifest, then what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? You gotta manifest like a winner. That's what winners do. Winners are already winners before they even win. They already know they're winning. They already know. They already know it. They already know it. So how I'm going about my cardio recently, guys, is just a lot of zone two work. You know what I mean? Like so we have five zone heart rate zones, okay? So we have zone five, zone four, zone three, zone four two and zone one now there's different models and structures to that zone that zone heart rate zone model but that's the one i go off is the five zone model that's pretty much staple so um zone one is pretty much 50 to 60 percent of your heart rate 
Zone 2 is 60 to 70. Zone 3 is 70 to 80. Zone 4 is 80 to 90. And then Zone 5 is 90 or more. Okay, so that's how my, how I rock and roll. So I try to stay within 60 to 70 um, percent of my heart rate max. And honestly, it's, it's a comfortable ride as long as you have your electrolytes, your sodium, and your carbohydrates, you're fine. Like, it's not too bad. And if you keep yourself distracted, don't fucking... Don't watch the pedometer. Don't watch anything except for what's keeping you distracted within the moment, right? Podcast, fuck that shit when you bike ride, bro. Like, if it's a 20-minute, I get it. Like, podcast, blog it on. But an hour and 30 of just listening or watching a podcast, I can't do it, dude. Like, because I, I got to think. I got I to gotta process stuff. And I don't want to process. I just want to get focused within the cardiovascular work itself. So I got an hour and 40 today, and then tomorrow I've got another one hour and 40. So I got back-to-back one hour and 40 minutes. I may do it on Saturday instead, maybe. I may do a Saturday instead of Friday instead, but eh, I won't bother with that, man. Um, And maybe do it at like another gym or something like that. Maybe just go to another gym and yeah, just do whatever I have to do. But um, no, it's good, man. I'm really enjoying um, what everything's kind of going with at the moment with this cardiovascular work. I'm feeling great. Like the calories that I'm getting in my body feel fantastic. I have a really great amount of energy as well. I don't feel bad. Knees do feel a bit stiff. I'm not going to lie. Knees definitely feel a bit tender and uh, stiff at this point in time. But once I walk around, warm up, I, my knees are fine. You know what I mean? I think that just comes with age a little bit and um, <laughs> potential arthritis in the knees. <laughs> um, but that's fine. I'm not really stressing over something like that. Knee stiffness is pretty common, especially as you start to get older. Um, sometimes stiff tendons aren't a bad thing either. So um so yeah that's how i'm pretty much going at this moment in time it's just like 60 to 70 but at some point doesn't mean i'm doing zone two constantly that doesn't mean that i can't push myself to some point either and do interval training so at some point i need to figure out a way to do a time trial or really push myself at some point in time so what i may do is maybe like something like a two hour time trial where i just go all out for two hours all out all out um so that's something i'm considering is something like a two hour time trial where i just just go all out i don't think about heart rate zones i just i just fucking go for it so i'm thinking about that maybe within four to five weeks so in about a month or a bit and then i'll take a deload and then during that deload week i'll use the time trial that one that two hour time trial where i just go all out and then same thing with deadlifting just do a heavy heavy uh water at max within that week as well and then just call it a day so just to keep everything to two sets rp like five to six on every single exercise and just relax man you know just take it easy um give my body time to accumulate and just adjust to the volume that it's starting to implement in now my training volume honestly hasn't changed at all um if anything i'm still progressively overloading i'm still chasing prs which is very very good um i just got a pause deadlift pr today i got 180 kilograms on pause deadlifting which is pretty fucking legit uh, without a belt as well so that's fantastic man that's pretty much double body weight uh for myself so i'm very very happy about that yeah it's really really good man i'm very very happy that i'm able to take my body to this point uh, I'm feeling strong, very, very strong, very strong um, at this point in time, which is great. Um, so, yeah, feeling good at this moment in time. Can't complain, can't complain. Um, so, just trying to strategize everything that I need to for this to pretty much work out. So, it's always about having a strategy, it's always about having a game plan and then the implementation of that and committing to that implementation. Um, injuries, you know, tendonitis, tendinopathy issues. They're inevitably going to come up, especially as you're starting to really push your body to a brink, um, which is normal. It's normal. So don't feel like this pain-free lifestyle is something that's going to last on forever. It's honestly a bit of a con, a bit of a myth to think that durability is going to be coming your way all the time. It's not. There's going to be times where your body's going to feel very, very rubbish. You're going to have tendinitis issues. Then it comes down to load management. So 
you're gonna get stuff like tendonitis, bursitis, you know, pain, soreness in the joints. There's gonna be times where pain just inevitably comes in, particularly as you start to really push your body to a very, very tough brink. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. You just gotta really play smart, uh, be strategic with your loading, uh, manage your load as well, very, very well. Uh, intensity of volume needs to be managed as well. So load management, honestly, is the king. Excuse me, I burped. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's probably the best way to go about it, okay? Then it all comes down to just adding exercises. So for example, if your deadlifting is really interfering or like you're getting a lot of overly sore rectors or you feel like you're getting a lot of back work from it and less glutes, it's probably a technique issue. So your legs may be a little bit too wide or maybe you need to learn how to pronate in your foot a little bit more, right? So what happens is that a lot of people tell to talk to talk in external rotation. So basically, when you drag your knees out on the deadlift, right, you don't allow your glutes to lengthen out properly and shorten properly. It's, so it makes the lockout way more difficult than what it has to. So what I tell people is you literally just keep the knee just over the midfoot. Knee over the midfoot or even more, pronate the foot. So pronating your foot allows for a little bit more internal rotation. So you're gonna get a little, little bit more drive from your adductors and your glutes on the lockout. So it's just gonna make your lockout way easier when you have pronation in your foot. So pronating your foot basically means it's coming inwards, right? So you have supination, which is the foot coming outwards, which is usually promoted, which is usually um, coexisted with hip external rotation. Hip external rotation isn't inherently bad. There's a lot of individuals that literally walk around with their knees caving in. So that's where you need to promote, okay, let's do some external rotation work. So that's where you need to think about, okay, like maybe what we can do is maybe to implement like a, an, an, an ipsilateral load on the split squat. And what we got to do from there is think about them supinating from their feet. So I'm like, okay, let's do a front foot elevated split squat and then let, let's go same arm and same leg. So the dumbbell, let's say, is in your left hand in comparison to your left leg which is the working leg. This is good because then what we can do is allow the foot to supinate out and drive the hip out as well. And then if we want to make it better, maybe to add a bit more external stability, we can use a constraint like a broomstick or maybe a squat rack to hold onto for hand support. You don't want to over rely on that hand support. That's where you're going to be smart with the weight and not necessarily pushing off that upper body and arm. So you get close enough where you can make sure you're not going shoulder, like very wide with the hand. But then as well, at the same time, you're not over-relying on that constraint to assist you with what's going on with the leg, right? Um, so that's a good way to really promote hip external rotation. So just more supination of the feet. To improve internal rotation, you got to drag the knee to the big toe and then promote pronation of the feet. So the pronation means the knee's got to come in. Ah, excuse me. So... That's a good way to really promote internal rotation is just think about literally just like the knee coming in and then doing more adductor work, direct adductor work, which is very un underrated for improving hip internal rotation. So no, like you don't need a lot of 90-90 hip stretching. It's good. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Um, stretching's fine. You want to stretch for like five to 10 minutes before you lift because the research behind static stretching before lifting can be grossly exaggerated tremendously. Um, because they look at this one research paper. And we were taught this research paper in university as well. And it was something I used to believe in for a very, very long time. But if you actually look at the research properly, it's it takes a lot of fucking stretching before you actually see a 10% decrease. And for most general population, 10% is fuck all. If you're an elite athlete, sure, like go ahead. Use that idea of static stretching to that 10% difference. Cause that's gonna make a huge difference for something like an elite athlete. 
for someone like general population who gives a fuck who gives a fuck like at the end of the day like if they want to stretch and statically before a training session who fucking cares who fucking cares like it doesn't it doesn't really matter that that much if it makes him feel better gives him a bit of a quote-unquote safety blanket before going into a lift it's going to increase their adher adherence so that's something you have to respect from a client's behalf as well instead of removing that safety blanket away from them it's important it's important whilst you're there to educate the client you're also there to reassure them and hope they can find some positive benefits from any type of movement at all movement is medicine at the end of the day motion is lotion so if stretching and static stretching makes them feel comfortable under barbells and with deadlifting and squatting just let them be let them be there's nothing wrong with that you know what i mean um and then add in a sprinkle of dynamic work okay so add in the, that, that dynamic work here and there or maybe even loaded stretching stuff like jefferson curls or even like back bending which is something that i'm trying to get better at is um extension capabilities that's something i'm thinking about adding into my lifting very very soon is extension work my flexion work is fucking great i've got really particularly in my thoracic spine my flexion is phenomenal in my thoracic spine but the extension work is something i really severely lack in like i don't really have great back extension um or spinal extension so it's something i really want to improve upon and actually get stronger at as well is spinal extension um flexion i'm trying to get better at with weighted crunches jefferson curls um that's really where i'm trying to get better at really just going just really allowing that spine to feel lubricated and bent at the back in comparison to extension where we really need to counteract that so that's something i'm thinking about adding in for sure it's something i'm very excited to you know sprinkle in give it a shot so it should be good i'm excited to see where it kind of takes me and then after that you've got rotation and lateral flexion so what we've been seeing nowadays in the industry is a trend now starting to go the opposite direction of what core training used to be so core training used to be all about you know um, anti-lateral flexion so anti-movements so a lot of resisting of the core movement which is which is fine like here and there it's not not bad at all like a little bit of anti-rotation work i just think is pretty damn good a little bit of anti-flexion work is good a little bit of anti-extension work you can't complain you can't complain all these things are decent um modalities or things to utilize right so i don't think it's inherently bad to use these things um so yeah somebody's calling me on my phone but i'll just leave it <laughs> but um yeah ladies and gentlemen it's really really good to start to now get back into rotational work and flexion spinal flexion and spinal extension and spinal lateral flexion oh excuse me I've been burping all day i had um Guzmani gomez so that's why i'm burping quite a bit so yeah guys um yeah definitely for me like you got to start to really think about if you want to get a healthy spine you got to think about spinal flexion it's very important now to add in some spinal flexion work to your training um now a few reasons obviously why just because it's going to allow for better capabilities um period like your spine needs to learn how to adjust to flexing just as much as it needs to adapt to anti-flexion and anti-extension um because there's gonna be times where you're just gonna pick up a fucking box that's like 10 kilos and your spine's flexed right now a lot of people get injured from this shit because first of all they don't gradually expose themselves to uh, spinal flex positions um and they lift weights that they probably shouldn't be lifting at these flexed positions so that's pretty much on the individual as a whole doing dumb shit like that really um and not taking the time to just make sure that they can adapt to that spinal position before deadlifting or before let's say doing crunches right so they they, they that's where stuff excess like injuries like herniated, herniated discs and si joint uh, dysfunction and you know what's another one 
strains, obviously, um, all that can, can come into fruition, right? Um, but that's where you got to learn to adapt. Take your time with it. Don't, don't rush it. It's one of the number one big no-nos that I have for a lot of individuals, man, is just don't rush that type of process. It's important to make sure that you're not being a dickhead and you're just taking your time. You're taking your time. And it's okay to take your time, man. You know what I mean? Like, people think it's, like, this whole thing that, like, you got to really rush to get a four-plate deadlift. you got to rush to get a four-plate squat or, a, I don't know, three-plate bench press. You don't. If you rush for that and you're not patient enough with that process of lifting and getting those numbers that you want to get, you're going to get hurt really, really badly. And then you're going to have to go through a learning lesson all the way through. And injuries are a great learning lesson in general. And I think that's why when I came up my SI joint function, I'm probably at my strongest at the moment, the most consistent period, because I'm learning how to auto-regulate. I'm not have, learning how to be a dummy and maxing out every single time. I'm not going RP10 on stuff like deadlifting at all. Um, it's not necessary. Um, the only time I will go RPE 10 is like what I did today. I did deficit deadlifts and I actually got three plates for uh, eight reps, which is a huge PR. I didn't expect to go for eight reps at all, you know what I mean? On a deficit deadlift as well. That's huge. So I'm very, very happy about that. But the last rep was a fucking grinder and it was very uncomfortable. But here and there, that type of exercise is perfectly fine, man. But if you guys see my back during these exercises, it looks fucking ugly at times. But it's teaching my back how to adjust to these... Um, these positions of spinal flexion. So it's just teaching my body how to get more spinal flex, particularly on deficit deadlifts. Deficit deadlifts are a great way to promote spinal flexion and get used to bracing via the backside because people don't know how to brace under a deadlift. They don't. Like people really just push out their belly and it's like, no, 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 that's not good. That's not good bracing, period. What you need to learn what to do is to brace in a three-dimensional mannerism, right? So basically what it means to brace in a three-dimensional mannerism is that you need to brace at the stomach and at the backside, okay? So that's why sometimes I need to shift my center of mass posteriorly or backwards that I could get air into my backside. So a rounded upper back position actually helps me out in getting a better brace into the abdominal and the erector area, right? As a three-dimensional kind of look. So that's something that I'm very, very happy about and something I'm getting better at for sure is just learning how to deadlift with a rounded upper back. It does help me out, particularly with leverages. Um, so I'm, I'm loving it, man. I think it's a fantastic uh, strategy on my behalf and it's definitely been a game changer for my lifting for sure, man. Because it's teaching me how to get a better brace. It's giving me a better leverages. My lockout's getting better now. Um, I'm learning how to pronate my feet on deadlifting as well, which is something that's very, very underrated is learning how to pronate your feet on deadlifting. It's very, very underrated. It's something that it doesn't get enough love in deadlifting is learning how to pronate your feet. Um, and just allowing your knee to come in a little bit. It's, it's perfectly fine to get a little bit internal rotation with your hips in a deadlift. Because if anything, it just leverages your glutes and adductors to work better in a lockout. You know what I mean? So that's important. That's important. Um, now, the starting position for me has always been a struggle. It's always been a struggle. So that's something I need to get better at for sure is the starting position. I just suck. It's just a leg drive issue for me. I don't know. Maybe it's my quads. They're probably just very, very weak, my quadriceps. But it's something I'm, I am going to get better at for sure. And then hopefully at some point I can go for that 200 kilo deadlift within, I don't know, maybe four to five months is what I'm thinking. I'm at 180 at the moment, very confidently pulling 180. I'm very anxious to pull a 185 at some point and then a 190. I reckon maybe in two months time, uh, 190 will be my new kind of like minimum, my minimum effective dosage of a single. Uh, you know what I mean? So like one, I'm hoping 190 could be that number for me very, very soon. 
one of the issues that I used to have with deadlifting is my hips always used to go so fucking high. Um, and it always used to be pure erectors, all erectors, man. But my hip position has definitely improved as I've gotten better with deadlifting, man. Um, it's just, uh, it's a night and day difference. Night and day difference, which is great. That's something I'm very, very happy about with my uh, with my deadlifting for sure. It's just my hips are so fucking lower now, which is great. So I'm loving that about my deadlifting at the moment. So yeah, really in a good uh, place with my deadlifting and my other lifting has been pretty solid as well. Like upper body's been great recently, uh, particularly rowing. My, my rows recently have been so fucking good. Um, so when I did my rows on Tuesday, the gym that I go to also has um, adjustable mag grips. So you guys know what the mag grips are. They're pretty much like neutral grip positions where you can go short, um, you know, medium and wide with it. But these ones actually adjust as well. So I did it on a cable row, right? And I did a 45 degree like neutral grip position because you could just like, you could twist the knob on there and just like almost move these mag grips to whatever hand position you want to. It's so cool. It's very, very cool. So I tried it out with the 45 degree. My upper back and rear delts were cooked and I loved it. I loved it. It was such a great hand position. Very, excuse me, very comfortable. I thought it was brilliant. So I'm definitely going to think about continuing that variation for a few weeks because uh, it, it's just very comfortable man very smooth very buttery on the upper back and i love it man it's a great upper back exercise for sure um yeah so what you always want to think about with upper back guys just as a tip is just always think about like a 45 degree maybe like a 70 degree so like something between 45 and 70 degrees so 70 degrees just basically means your elbows are flared up like an l like an l or in a straight line you just think about pulling back so i think that's a really great way to go about it okay so get amongst that really enjoyable stuff man really enjoyable okay so i want to move on to another topic now guys so basically you guys know most of you guys know that the um um the nba finals are going to be on tomorrow so i'm going to talk about it a little bit and yeah so basically we got Jokic versus butler denver versus miami which is going to be a very interesting nba finals i'm not going to lie now it seems pretty obvious that denver's the pretty heavy favorite going into the series and understandably so I'm a Miami Heat guy, but obviously no shit. Denver's probably the best team of the two. Like, offensively, this team's just a juggernaut. And not only that as well, they got the better player. They got Nikola Jokic, who I think may be the best player on the planet. And then Jamal Murray's the second better secondary guy to, in comparison to Bam Adebayo. Um, the most unpredictable player is Jimmy Butler. You don't know what you're going to really get from Jimmy this series. He's been very, very inconsistent since the New York Knicks series and since that ankle injury, right? So um, it's, it's, it's somebody that I'm worried about but also somebody you should be intimidated and scared about because jimmy could just go off really he could i don't think he's gonna have a milwaukee bucks series i don't think he's gonna get fucking um 45 and 50 point games in this series i don't think he will but do i think he may get an occasional 40 piece i think he may i think he may um he may get like a 40 literally dead on 40 points 41 points um so he may get something uh, one game between 40 to 45 he may get but i think majority of his games in this series will come at 25 to 30 pieces i think I think every game Jimmy will get like at least 25 to 30, uh, which is something I expect from Jimmy. I don't expect him to go for 40 or 50 or even like 35 every single game. Um, it's just a lofty expectation, you know what I mean? That series against the Milwaukee Bucks was a one in a fucking million series for Jimmy Butler. Let's keep it real. Uh, not even for Jimmy Butler, but just any player in the league. You guys got to remember that Jimmy had to go against fucking three All-NBA defenders. He went against Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And Chris Middleton, who's also a pretty decent defender. He's all right. He's nothing special, but he's all right. 
and then Javon Carter that's another guy as well who's also a great defender as a guard you know what I mean so like Milwaukee in general is one of the best defensive teams in the league period point blank like even without Giannis there for two games they're still a great defensive team and they've won over 500 in the regular season without Giannis but it's a different beast this Milwaukee team's a different beast without Giannis you know what I mean they're completely different they don't play with the same discipline on the defensive end without Giannis um but Drew Holiday, I've never seen a guy get cooked as hard as what he did against Jimmy, period. And he went he went against Kevin Durant at that 2021 Eastern Conference Finals. And Jimmy destroyed him. Jimmy destroyed him. He got fucking cooked by Jimmy. He got fucking cooked. And he, I'm pretty sure he even actually said in an interview that he couldn't stop Jimmy. Um, so very humble of Drew, first things first. But no one was stopping Jimmy that series. That, that dude was a man on a mission. We all know that. Um... But yeah, like obviously we're not going to see a 38 point per game against three, all all NBA defenders, three of them, um, in a five game series. It's not happening. It's not happening again. Even against Aaron Gordon, and Aaron Gordon's a pretty damn good defender, but he's also going to be the X factor for this team. If you get Aaron Gordon going on both ends of the court, fucking Denver's going to sweep this series, sweep it or minimum five games. Um, it's just because Denver's just a much better team. You know what I mean? They they have built a tremendous squad around um around fucking Jokic and Murray right so like they just got 3 and D guys around Jokic and Murray they got KCP Bruce Brown Aaron Gordon Christian Braun like they, they they got they got dogs they got dogs and particularly the only issue that I have with the Nuggets I reckon in my opinion is probably they don't rotate their bench enough in the playoffs so they r rely heavy 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 minutes on guys like fucking KCP Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon and obviously you're pretty much the starting five it's very heavy minutes for the starting five which could be something that Eric Spoelstra may take advantage of and just use physicality against a team like the Denver Nuggets which um honestly could be something that Denver could fall down with and Miami could really make an advantage is um Miami's got the coaching advantage no doubt about that Eric Spoelstra is the best coach in the league in my opinion so I think I love Mike Malone. Actually, I said for a long time, Mike Malone's a fucking good coach and no one ever listened to me, man. I used to go on fucking Facebook groups and be like, Mike Malone's a great coach, man. He's very underrated. And people are like, no, he fucking sucks. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm right, you're wrong. He's a top five coach in the league, in my opinion. I'd probably say it's Eric Spostra, Steve Kerr. That's the top two pretty comfortably. I would say Tyron Lewis, probably three. Four is Greg Popovich, although he doesn't have the team around him at this point in time. I still think he's number four. Five, I'd then go Mike Malone. So I think Mike Malone's fifth best coach in the league which is still fucking incredible. You know what I mean? Maybe Monty Williams is honorable mention, very close between him and Nick Nurse. Actually, no, no, no. Okay, pull that shit back. Eric Spostra. Um, Eric Spostra. Fucking Steve Kerr. Nick Nurse is three. Greg Pop, four. And five, maybe Monty Williams? Oh, no, no. Five Tyron Lue. Five Tyron Lue. Five Tyron Lue. Monty Williams, six. Seven Mike Malone. Okay, still with the seventh best coach in the league. He's fucking good. He's fucking good. And this is the thing about um, the issue that I have with the Heat and what they did throughout the playoffs is that they never went through a great head coach uh, until Mike Malone shows up. Like, Joe Mazzulla, he's not a good coach. In my opinion, he's a very, very below average coach, in my opinion. Um, he, his heart's in the right place, but he's, he's fucking weird, man. He's a very, very odd individual, which isn't bad. Like, we're all weird to an extent, but he's just very, very odd. As, as an NBA coach, I think the youth definitely can see that he's a bit of a player's coach and not necessarily a coach. Because um, you need your coach to be a coach. You don't need your coach to be a fucking friend. Like, you need your coach to be a coach. And I think Joel Mazzulla is a little bit of a people, a little bit of a player's coach, which isn't bad, but it isn't great either. So it's, it, there's a little bit of a fine line between that at this moment of time. 
And I think John Mazzulla is just not that guy. Ime Yudoki, you could tell, had way more discipline. He had the fucking plays in his control. He was a dog. He was a dog, man. I mean, yeah, he had his off-court issues with cheating and all that shit, blah, blah, blah. But in general, I think the Celtics should have kept him. In my opinion, they should have. Because they would have gone to the NBA Finals, period, point blank, with Ime Yudoka. They would have. They would have. They would have been a way more disciplined team. Uh, defensively, they're just much better as well with Ime Yudoka. Um, defensively, the Boston Celtics were remarkably inconsistent as a, as a defense, man. Remarkably inconsistent as a team, period. There was times where talent literally willed this team to fucking win games, period. No strategy, just Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum isos with driving kicks from those two for catch and shoots. And just pray to God that they live and die by the three, which is they, what they did. They were 9-42 from downtown in game seven, which is fucking embarrassing. And if you ever noticed the games, the two games they won in game three, game four and game five, they were hitting their threes. They were hitting their threes. And the game that they did in game six, they almost lost that game. People tend to forget. They were up by about 15 points, and they almost wet the bed hard in the second half again. They they were close to losing that game if it wasn't for a fucking hole-in-one, one-in-a-million miracle from Derek White. Dead set. Like, they were. They were very, very close for losing. They were not playing well offensively in the second half, and Miami was playing shocking in game six as well offensively. They were shocking. Like, Bam and Jimmy, they were disgustingly bad. I'm pretty sure they were, like, 9 for 37 between those two. 9 for 37. Jimmy was 5 for 21. Bam was 4 for twenty, uh, four for 16, which is fucking bad. That's shocking from both players, man. So, I don't think we'll see performances from Jimmy like that again. Like, 5 for 21 is fucking bad. That's shocking. That is really, really bad. Darius Garland had 4 of 21, though, in Game 3. That's fucking awful as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm not too sure... Like, if the coaching chess is going to really take as much of an advantage as what we think it is with Eric Spostra. Eric Spostra will have an advantage, but I don't think it's going to be like this landslide advantage like he has against all these other coaches in um, the Eastern Conference. Because Tom Thibodeau, he's a pretty a pretty below, pretty below average coach. I don't think he's anything special. He's just average, in my opinion, Tom Thibodeau. Great defensively. Offensively, he fucking sucks. He's bad with rotations with his players, man, particularly for the Knicks. He always plays his starters in heavy, heavy minutes, particularly even in um, trash time. It's really dumb. It's not a good idea from Tom Thibodeau, man. Uh, but offensively, he's got no fucking sets going for his team, man. Um, Mike Budenhoser, he's not a good coach either. But obviously, what happened in his personal life is very, very unfortunate and sad. He was probably very off task, for sure, man. But Mike Budenhoser in general was not a good coach. Even like during that 2021 Bucks title, he was not a good coach. There was a lot of questionable things. Mike Budenhoser in game five, that was very very questionable stuff very questionable stuff man like very very questionable um and then you had john mazula obviously as i said didn't was a bit of a players coach didn't really have the discipline to you know get his get his guys ready and he admitted this in game three but i mean props to the celtics man they fucking took us to war man three games in a row they fucking really really pushed us psychologically man which is incredible stuff man from the celtics like they they won their games basically on pure will and talent, which is pretty incredible, man. So shout out to the Boston Celtics, man. Hell of a series. Hell of a series, man. Phenomenal team. But then the Celtics got, got decisions to make in the offseason, right? Because you got Jalen Brown and Tatum. Both of these guys are eligible for a Supermax extension. So basically, um, Jason Tatum, is gonna, he's going to get a Supermax. $315 million. Jalen Brown, two hundred ninety-five. million. That's a lot of fucking money. That's a lot of money. And you got to give out. That's almost that's over six hundred million dollars. That's a lot of fucking money. Now a lot of people are arguing that they could just probably go on the luxury tax, and um, you know just pay both for supermax. But then you got to worry about Al Horford, Marcus Smart. You know, that's it. Like you know what I mean. You still got to worry about Marcus Smart. Like 
if they pay Jalen Brown and Tatum the money that they do, they're going to fuck all for Marcus Smart. And Marcus Smart's not going to be happy with the bag that he's getting, and he'll fuck off. Same with Al Horford. Al Horford's too old. Like, honestly, he should probably consider retirement. I'm not even kidding you. Like, he's about 37. He couldn't defend a fucking stick if he tried. Like, Al Horford's just not that dude. Bam was just shocking. That's why, like, really, it made Al Horford look good. Like, no offense. Like, Bam was just very soft, very passive against the Celtics. It wasn't really Al Horford's defense, per se, that stopped Bam from being Bam. It was Bam. <laughs> like, it wasn't really Al Horford's defense, with all due respect. Now, you need to keep Marcus Smart. In my opinion, like, that's the guy that's the heart and the soul of this Boston Celtics team. You could get rid of Jalen Brown. I think you could personally get rid of Jalen Brown because what you can do is start to get stuff like um, fucking... Um, what's his name? You could get you could get Anthony Simons and a third pick for the for the Portland Trailblazers. Or even take him to the Pistons, man. Take Imagine that. The Pistons for a fourth pick, that would be a solid fucking thing. Because if you get Jalen Brown, make him your three. Six foot seven. Let him play the three. Let him play the three. And then you get Jaden Ivey and fucking... What's his name? Um, Jaden Ivey, you know, Kay Cunningham, Jalen Brown. And then you maybe get a guy like uh, Jalen Duran, keep developing him. And then you got now got Monty Williams as a coach. Like, this team could fucking dead set make, a, make it for a play-in. Or maybe like a six-seater in the playoffs. If they keep developing, man. Because Kay, Kay's going to come in with the blood this year. Same with Jaden Ivey. Like, these two are going to really be hungry and pushing for a playoff run. I reckon they will be next season. Um, I could really see Kate averaging like 23 points like maybe 10.5 assists per game. He's going to be almost like a Tyrese Halliburton type of guard, which I'm, I'm pretty keen to look at, man. He, I reckon, he's, as I said, he's going to average like 23.5 points per game, 10.5 assists, maybe like 7 rebounds. He's going to be a special player, man. Efficiency, I reckon, won't be too good. I reckon it'll maybe be like 45% of the field, which is all right. It's okay for a guard. It's nothing special. It's all right. But I think, like, you could definitely see, like, potential for K Cunningham for sure, man. And defensively, he's going to be a dog, I reckon. Like, he's not there yet, but you could definitely tell defensively he's got huge potential to be great. Huge potential. And you got to get a you got to get a tall lineup as well, which is great from the um, from the Detroit Pistons. So I'm very excited to see where Detroit takes their team, man. Um, and then Boston can go get a fourth pick. You know what I mean? They can maybe get another wing alongside Tatum and then just, like, quickly develop it. Maybe a guy like Eamon Thompson, which would be fucking incredible. Eamon Thompson on the Celtics. Or if you're the Portland Trailblazer, they need to go for a top five pick. In my opinion, you got to trade Jalen Brown for, like, a third or fourth or even a fifth pick. One of those three right there. Not a second. The Hornets aren't going to give that thing up, man. They're not going to give that up. No way. No way. Hornets will go for the number two. They can't fuck this up. Because uh, Miles Bridges is coming back as well for the Hornets. So I don't really see, like, fucking how, like, the Hornets could fuck this uh, up, really, in general. Like, I just, I just don't, I don't see it. But um, a guy like um, a guy like fucking maybe like Anthony Simons, and then you get Scoot Henderson to Boston. That yeah, that would be it. That'd be it. That would be it. Like you could definitely, you could definitely see the potential in something like Scoot Henderson in Boston. That'd be great. I definitely would love to see Scoot go to the Celtics. I think it'd be a really really great trade. I think it's a perfect trade. Honestly, I think it's fucking great. Like honestly, if you're the Celtics, who's complaining? You know what I mean? Like you're getting fucking, you're getting. Scoot Henderson, you're getting a third pick. There's really nothing bad about that at all, period. Like, you can't complain if you're the Celtics. Or get the fourth pick and take him to the Houston Rockets. So get a fifth pick, swap it over, 
Jalen Brown goes to Ime Yudoka. That's what I'm saying. Either three of these situations where it's a third, fourth, or fifth pick, you could trade for any of those three, and you're going to get something very satisfying with that team coming through. That's going to push them to a playoff seating. And then you're getting something back if you're the Celtics. Like, you're getting a young guy that's probably going to develop very, very quickly. The Celtics, without Jalen Brown, will still be a playoff team. They'll be like maybe a... Nah. Uh, yeah, I think they'll be like a six or seven seater. So they'll be like a like borderline playoff slash play-in team. So they'll be a top-tier play-in team or a borderline playoff team, right? So I think they'll be like a six or seventh seater in the East without Jalen Brown. I still think they're going to be an excellent team. You know what I mean? But then at this point, you got to worry about luxury tax. And you got to worry about getting into that as well, which isn't a good idea, in my opinion, for the Boston Celtics. Because if these two continue to lose, it's going to be a little bit of an issue, man. It's going to be very, very concerning. You really need to think about if you're the if you're the Celtics about trading Jalen Brown. Period. Um, it's something that you need to be very honest with yourself with. Tatum, he's not going. He's staying. He's staying. They're going to give him his bag. They're going to give him his bag. I would be shocked though, which would be crazy. Imagine if Jason Tatum got traded or just decided to request for a trade. That would be fucked up. That would be really, really, really insane. Because whoever gets Jason Tatum, I mean, that could make that team into a contender, man. Particularly if it's with another superstar, that'd be fucked up. But I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think um, if we're talking about the Celtics, uh, the Nuggets and the Heat, going back to that, I think the the Nuggets will win it in probably about four to five games. I don't really see Miami contending. But I've been wrong about the Heat pretty much all season, man. And that's my team, which is... Very sad that I'm doubting them so fucking hard. I think Jimmy may give him one game. Um, or Caleb Martin may come out of nowhere and give like a 25 to 30 piece out of nowhere. Um, and then Jimmy gives you like 30 to 35, which is very, very possible. If you get a 30 to 35 piece from Jimmy Butler every game and then a 20 to 25 piece from um, Caleb Martin, oh yeah, this Heat team's coming definitely for sure for a six to seven game series. They'll definitely contend at that point for sure. If you can get a very consistent Caleb Martin who's giving you 20 points per game, 22... 21 22 points per game like and then jimmy's giving you like you know 30 points 31 points per game yeah like obviously no shit like miami's gonna contend for sure um they will because then that's just gonna open guys like bam out of io carl larry max Struess, who max Struess has been fucking bad in the last in this last Celtics series but who knows who knows but um the x factors for these um for these um for the both of these teams man i would say the x factor for the Denver nuggets is definitely aaron gordon i don't think anybody denies this who's watching the series. It's going to be Aaron Gordon for sure playing defense on Jimmy Butler. For the Miami Heat, I'm not going to say Caleb Martin. I actually expect Caleb Martin to bring the goods as a secondary player. Uh, Bam, same thing. I'm expecting him to bring the goods for sure. Um, I don't think it's going to be difficult for Jokic to guard Bam because he's been very soft this playoffs. But fucking who knows? Bam could go off in this series for like 23 points or some shit like that. Because Jokic isn't a, a spectacular defender. So like Bam isn't going against fucking Robert Williams the third or anything like that but bam soft so who fucking knows so the thing is, is though i i still think the nuggets are gonna like they're, they're not fucking going against the lakers or the suns like they're going against a well-oiled and well-coached miami heat team so i think this will, will will definitely be their toughest opponent yet although they'll probably lose in less games to the phoenix suns um do you know what i mean it sounds a bit odd but i think miami's going to constantly keep it very very close in every single game uh, kind of like what the Lakers did, but they'll win a game. You know what I mean? In Miami. Um, <clears throat> the only way that Miami uh, that Miami's going to win one in Denver, really, is that if Jimmy Butler puts on a spectacular performance. Like, that's it. Like, he needs probably like a 35-point a triple-double. Kind of like what he did in the 2020 NBA Finals, yeah, right? Right? In those wins. Like, Jimmy in Game 3 had a 40-point triple-double, and then in Game 5, um, he had a 
think it was a 35-point triple-double. So, yeah, he's going to need those type of games in this series. Uh, but as I said, I don't know if Jimmy's got in the tank really, like, mentally at this point to try and go after it. Because that altitude's fucking cooked, apparently, by a lot of individuals, man. So, Denver's got a massive home court advantage in what they do. But I wouldn't be surprised if Miami takes out one game in Denver. One game. One game. It won't be game one. I reckon game one will be a blowout. I reckon fucking Denver win by, but I reckon about 15 to 20 points. Game two, though, I reckon Miami may pull off a win. They may pull off a win. It's very possible. It'll be a close one in game two. Um, that's why, like, Miami had to go straight to Boston. They had to go straight to Boston to finish it off. Uh, to, not straight to Boston. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. To, um, to Denver. They had to go straight to Denver after the Boston game. They need to get accumulated to the, um, the climate very, very quickly. So... It, it's going to be a fun series, man. Um, either team winning, man, I wouldn't be mad with. Um, I'd be disappointed, obviously, in Miami because that's my team. But um, I'd be sad, for sure. But, I mean, it's hard to get mad at the Nuggets, man. They're just an incredible squad. Greatly coached. Uh, very disciplined on the offensive end. Nikola Jokic is fucking amazing. And Jamal Murray's an ultra-competitive dog. So, I love the Nuggets, man. Um, obviously, if the Heat weren't in this series, man, it was the Celtics or the Bucks, then obviously... I'd be barracking on the Nuggets for sure, man. Um, they're just a likable team. Um, very focused. Very focused this uh, season, man. You can definitely tell they've got a huge chip on the shoulder. It gives me um, gives me a little bit of like like Bubble Lakers slash 2021 Milwaukee Bucks vibes for sure in terms of like that, that, that focus that they have um, for the game and what they know what the goal is, right? Um, so I respect that from the Denver Nuggets, man. Very, very hungry, very disciplined team. Um, I love it, man. I think it's fantastic. So, yeah, and it's always like a... Um, they always keep it... Fo- they always are very determined to win, man. Like, they could have easily have given up that game four against the Lakers and given them the win to go back to game five. But they did. They swept it, which is very incredible. I find that very, very impressive that they just decided to go for the sweep. Um, I personally thought that the Lakers were just going to fucking blow them out and then they were going to take it back to Denver to finish in game five. And I was wrong. I was wrong. Um, so yeah, man, uh, it's, it's, it's just, it shows that they want it and they wanted to put out a statement and a message to everybody in this league to say, Hey, we're not playing around, which is very respectful. So shout out to Yoku, shout out to Murray, KCP, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, all those guys, man. Um, yeah, but for me, like I forgot to mention my X factor for the mind, for the Miami Heat, Tyler Hero's coming back as well, probably around game three and game four, which would be really awesome. Excuse me, man. Um, I don't think Tyler Hero is going to be an X factor. I expect him to give you like eight, like eighteen to twenty points um, in the series or in the game. So, Jimmy Bam, nah, nah. I would say my X factor probably would be Carl Lowry, just because he's got the twenty nineteen NBA Finals experience. You know what I mean? He's got a st- he could step up in for one big game and really deliver this team like a fifteen to eighteen piece off the bench. So. I'm actually going to say Kyle Lowry for the Miami Heat's going to be the X Factor. Another guy is Kevin Love. Guys like that are very, very important for the Miami Heat. They got championship experience. They got, um, you know, NBA Finals experience. But so does Jimmy Butler, man. So does Jimmy Butler. So does Bam. Like, that's the thing about the Miami Heat. They have NBA Finals experience, man. It's Yeah, it was in the bubble. But fucking, they got the experience, man. They got the experience. So experience the Heat have. The experience the Miami Heat have. The coaching is what they have as well. So I think, like, from that perspective, looking on it now, I think the Nuggets may win in six games. I think actually Miami may take two games. I think they'll take one in Denver, and I think they'll take one in Miami. Um, 
those games, I reckon game two, Miami will take. And then game four, Miami will take as well. So I think um, Denver will blow the fuck out of Miami, I reckon, game one. Game two, I think Miami will win maybe by about four to five points. Game three, Denver will win in a close one as well. I actually think that'll be a very, very close game, game three. Um, and I think that's that game will go to probably the Nuggets, maybe by about eight points. Game four, Miami, I reckon, will win in blowout. I reckon they'll win by about maybe 16 points. Game five, blowout by the by the Nuggets. And then game six, Denver will take it out in a close one. So that I think that's how it's going to go, man. Um, if it goes to a seven-game series, obviously, then I think Miami's the best eighth-seater of all time. I don't think anybody could debate that at that point. You know, people are still talking about the 99 Knicks. I disagree. I think um, at this point in time, the the squads that the Miami Heat had to go against are just way fucking better than the 99 Knicks. No, no, no disrespect to Alonzo Mourning and the Miami Heat squad, man. They were a fucking hell of a squad. But they're just not at the levels of the Milwaukee Bucks or the Boston Celtics or the Knicks. The Knicks were a great team this season, man. Let's not get it twisted. Like, this team was an offensive rebounding juggernaut. Um, very low turnover team. Very low turnover team. And I think that was the reasons that they bet the Cavaliers in five games, which is fucking embarrassing by the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's very embarrassing. But I think um, the reason why they're such a, like a, a force and a very dangerous team, the New York Knicks, was because of the offensive rebounding. And the offensive rebounding, they barely turned the ball over, which is another scary thing about them as well. Um, they're very well balanced as a team as well. They don't have a superstar, but they're decently balanced. If they have a superstar on that New York Knicks team, they fuck off Julius Randle. This... The Knicks are going to be a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous team. Dangerous team. Dangerous team. They'll be a contender for sure. They just need a superstar player. Who that guy's going to be? I don't know. Maybe Damian Lillard? Um, which is going to be very interesting. I'm interested to see the Cavaliers in the offseason, what they're going to try and pull off. They need. They may trade Karis LeVert and try to get one more like big-time all-star guy alongside Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, man. But the Cavaliers disappointed the fuck out of me in the playoffs, man. They, they clearly weren't hit, man. Darius Garland wet the bed hard. He was not good in that fucking series. Neither was Donovan Mitchell. He wasn't anything special. Either Jared Allen definitely takes a huge amount of responsibility as well because he couldn't fucking grab rebounds for the life of him for being 7'1". Very embarrassing, man. Um, that was definitely a rebounding issue for the Cavaliers for sure, man. You could definitely tell rebounding wasn't there for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, Darius Garland wasn't there either, so... Yeah, very disappointing Cleveland, man. I really thought they were going to win that series, but I was completely wrong. I'll definitely say that for sure. Um, got blown the fuck out of three games in a row after that. It just looks so bad for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So Cleveland definitely needs to make... I think Cleveland may need to go one more time in rotation. Darius Garland just needs to improve, dude. You know what I mean? He needs to just grow a pair and step up his game. So, Yeah, man. I think, um, I think um, Garland has potential to be a great playoff player, but he didn't look good. He didn't look good at all. So... I'm interested to see, um, yeah, some of these Eastern Conference teams looking up, man. Like the Pistons, the Pacers, the Orlando Magic. Those three are going to be fucking awesome teams to watch, man. Particularly the Pacers, man. I'm excited about the Indiana Pacers. they got Tyrese Halliburton, who's only going to get better, man. Um, he may be a better... He could honestly turn out to be a better version of Chris Paul, man. And then Benedict Bacterium, that guy's a dog, man. That guy's a dog. So I, I'm very, very excited to see where the Indiana Pacers go with it they need to nail the draft though they need to fucking get that guy in the draft they got chris dorati as well which i thought was pretty all right like chris dorati's good i like chris dorati now um so i'm intrigued by this pacers team man i'm intrigued by the indiana pacers for sure man yeah all right guys i'm gonna call it there um don't want to rush on for too much and start talking shit 
So I hope everyone has a good one. Make sure to share this out. And um, yeah, if you've got any feedback, just let me know. I hope everyone has a good one. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.